Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Hope. We started this last week. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That word hope there, ellipsis in the Greek, it's translated hope, it's con- translated some places confident expectation. One of the, I think it was the message Bible said, it's our handle on things that we don't see. It's sometimes translated a conviction or what we long for. But the thing that we saw last week in this, I, I can't emphasize this en- enough, our hope has to come from a revelation of God's word. It, it, we have lots of hopes. You know, you ask people, uh, what do you want? Well, I'm hoping for this. We have all kinds of natural hopes. But the only hope that counts is the hope that is based on what the Word says. If God promises this, promises us something in this. We just did it a minute ago when we were praying for the sick. He promised, He declared through the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3.13 that we are redeemed from the curse of the law. I have a hope that puts hope in my heart that sickness does not have dominion over me. Paul said in in Romans that sin shall shall not have dominion over me. Or sin does not have dominion over me. So that tells me that the the twin enemies, the twin barrels of of the devil's shotgun, his big double barrel shotgun, is sin and sickness. They have no hold or no dominion over me. He cannot, he has no right, it's illegal for him to assault me with sin or with sickness. Now I have to resist him, but thank God the Bible says if you resist the devil, he will flee. But we have to, and and that's part of the problem. When we sleepwalk through life and we don't resist him, Sometimes we just let him set up camp. And where we mostly set up, let him set up camp is right between our ears. That's where the hope resides. And we, we looked at it last week, very general hope. John 10.10, 10, the thief doesn't come except to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come, that's Jesus speaking, that you may have life and have that more abundantly. Jesus said there's one purpose that I have in coming to the earth. That's to bring abundant life to everybody. That's a great thought. If that doesn't make your day, then I'm sorry, but your standards are just a little too high for me. Jesus, thy entire reason, the God of the universe, the God that said light be and light was. I was listening to a a debate this morning uh, while I was cooking breakfast and washing dishes it was between a, a scientist and an atheist, and the scientist was a Christian scientist, and he was arguing, they were arguing about the creation event and, and the, the relevance of it. Um, and, and the atheist kept referring, and this was his big thing, and it was a philosophical argument, and they were supposed to be arguing science, which just kind of blew my brain out that he couldn't argue science. But he kept saying that in his mind, his atheistic viewpoint, um, 
the creation event happened because nothing, absolute nothing, rolled over into something. And he said this a dozen times, and I'm, I'm I, 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 you know, my hands are soapy, I'm washing dishes, and you just grab your head because you know if you don't hold on real tight, it's going to explode. I'm thinking, this man, the, the verse that came to me is the verse that Paul quoted in, in Romans, that professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. This man has a Ph.D. in physical chemistry, and yet he sat there and repeated it over and over and over. Nothing rolled over and became something. And I'm thinking, I could, you know, I could go to, you know, back in, in when I actually had a dog, and declare, well, you know, I have a cat. Well, how did you get a cat? Well, my dog rolled over and became a cat. There's as much sense in a dog rolling over and becoming a cat as absolutely nothing rolling over and becoming something. It's just a totally asinine thought. But John 10.10 says that the creator of all of this universe, it was all created one way, God spoke. And that God that spoke was Jesus. It was the second person of the Godhead that spoke. And nothing, absolute nothingness, became something. Became all the energy we see, all the atoms that we see, everything that exists, exists because Jesus spoke. He said, when he says, I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly, he started it with the creation. He created the whole universe so he could create us so that he could come later and insert himself in the world and pay the price for the sin that he knew we were going to sin and redeem us out of that sin and give us abundant life. Now, if that doesn't twist your brain into a knot, I don't know, it does mine. But it also gives me great hope. If that's God's whole purpose, the whole purpose of the creation event was to bring me, and I personalize it. It's, it's true for you too, but you need to personalize it. He did all of this for me to bring me abundant life. That gives me hope. And if he came then and he said, I'm coming back, I got hope he's coming back. Now, if he doesn't make it back before I have to leave, then tell him, I'm going to go with him. I'll be up there and I'll come back and see you all if you live long enough. <clears throat> and if you don't, then you can come see me. Like I said about Dale a minute ago, we get to see him. We're either going to go to heaven and meet him with Jesus or he's going to come back with Jesus and we're going to meet him in the air. It's the only two possibilities that exist because of what Jesus did. He even said it in the old covenant. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not evil, to give you a future and a hope. When we read earlier, Deuteronomy 28, uh, 59 through 63, If you break this law, I will bring all of these curses on you. I will bring you sickness, disease, prolonged sickness, prolonged disease. I will curse you with every curse of everything bad that happened in Egypt. And anything that's not named in this curse that's evil, I'll bring it on you because you broke my law. That's pretty pessimistic. That doesn't give me much hope. That basically says I'm doomed for hell. Well, if you want to know what I deserve... I deserve to live a short, miserable life, die and go to hell for all eternity. That's what I deserve. Because Romans 3.23 describes my life. I sinned and I fell short. But God. I love that but. 
Because you know when people come up to you and they tell you something especially when they say, look, I need to apologize, but. Yeah, they say an apology. There's a but there. Well, God said in Deuteronomy 28, if you break my law, I am going to bring all of these evil things on you. But, oh, there's a lot of hope in but. But I'm going to come and redeem you out of that curse. I'm not going to allow all these evil things because I'm going to take all that curse for you. That brings hope to me. Now, <clears throat> the, the, the word there for... Um, we saw it last week in Joshua 2.8, where when the, the spies went into the land, the two spies went into Jericho, and they met with Rahab the harlot. And they, she said, she helped them, and they said, look, because you helped us, we're going to give you a get-out-of-jail-free card. You and all of your family, if you bring them into your place, and you take this red scarlet cord and you hang it out the window, if we see that cord, we won't kill any of them. You're not going to die. Everything else in this city is going to die but not you and not your family. <clears throat> but you have to bind this cord at this window in order for that to happen. That represents the blood of Jesus. That binding is the, the Hebrew word tikva, which means hope. Many places in the Old Testament, it, it, it's, it's translated hope. That's why hope is so important. It binds us to the blood. It binds us to that, that redeeming power of Jesus' blood that he brought through the, the, his, his uh, life, his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection. All of, that, all of those promises, we bind ourselves to those promises through our hope. Hebrews 6.19, this hope... And this is the hope of the resurrection, the hope that Jesus is coming back, the hope that this is not it. I was listening, and I know, I, I, I listen to way too much YouTube. But I have one political commentator. I like him. He's a, a, a young Jewish man. And I, he was speaking with an atheist. And I would give you his name. I just can't think of it right now. But I'm listening to the, and this guy is a religious Jew. I mean, he comes Sabbath, you know, Friday night at, at sundown. He won't get in his car. He won't press an elevator button. He doesn't do anything. He will not work. He's that observant. But he's talking to this atheist, and they're agreeing on about 90% of their philosophical take. And the atheist looked at him, and he said, Well, what, in your mind, what about the afterlife? And he looked at him, and he said, Well, you know, in Jewish thought, the afterlife is very late in Jewish thought. And I really don't believe there is an afterlife. Well, he said, so you don't believe you have a soul? You don't believe that there's something that goes on? He said, well, I sort of do, but he said, the Torah really doesn't speak to it. And what I believe is that, you know, some part of you will go to heaven and God will cleanse you of all of this stuff and you will become one with God. And when he's talking about this, I'm thinking he's describing Hindus. He's describing animists. You become one with the universe. And you lose your identity, you become one with God. Well, we are one with God, but we stay our individual self. But we only become one with God through His sacrifice, not us. And there is a blessed hope. There's a blessed hope. And it says there in Hebrews 6.19, this hope we have is an anchor of the soul. I am anchored because I know this is not it. This physical life, 
You know, I've been sick, I've been well. Well is better. I've had money, I've been broke. Having money is better. It doesn't take a rocket science to figure life out. You know, I've been married, I've been single. I like married better. I've been in fights, I've been at peace. I like peace better. It's easy. It really is really simple. But the ultimate peace is to be at peace with God and to know He's on my side. And He's coming back for me. He has me. I've said it before. You walk into heaven's kitchens, you see my picture on the refrigerator. He says, you are the center of my universe, John. Now, He can be God and we can all be the center of His universe. That's the great thing about God. He can do it individually to each of us. But he said, I wake up in the morning. I don't know, God never sleeps and slumbers. But he said, I wake up in the morning thinking about you. Everything he did, he did to bring us abundant life, to bring us eternal life. Second Peter, this is where our hope comes in, though. So at Second Peter chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That tells me right there, first of all, I'm encouraged. It's, grace and peace is pretty good. Grace is greeting the, 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 the um, Gentiles. When, when two Gentiles would meet, they would talk about grace. Not necessarily God's grace, but they would just talk of grace to you. If two Jews met, they would always say shalom, peace to you. It was a greeting. So when Peter says this, he said, this is for the Gentiles and the Jews. That's what that's there. But notice, it's not just given to you, it's multiplied to you. But it's multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You can never advance in your hope or your faith or your standing in life beyond what your knowledge of the Word is. Little knowledge in the Word, little success in life, spiritual success. And let's face it, I would rather be poor in a hovel knowing God than rich in a mansion and not know God. For one reason, this life is fleeting. It's a vapor. It's almost over. I still, some days I wake up, well, I've I've said it before and I'll always say it, it just scares the, 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 the wits out of me. I walk in, in the bathroom every morning, look in the mirror, and my father's looking back at me. And it's like, how did I get here? In my, in my mind, I'm still 17 years old. Until you twist and try to sit up in bed and you realize I'm not 17 anymore. But, but it was yesterday I was 17. And it will be a blink of the eye and I'll be in my 80s. I mean, it's just life goes so fast. If I live my entire life poor, no material goods, but I know I got a mansion in heaven, that gives me hope. The richest, and I've known some very rich people. I mean, I've known people, they got so much money, they just, their, their pocket change is more money than I ever had in my bank account. And yet they are miserable. They're dead. They're blind. They're tormented. Why? Because they know when I die, their belief is when I die, I'm just going to quit existing. I'm just going to be annihilated. And their fear is hell is real. And I'm going to go there. I don't want to live my life in fear. I want to live my life in hope. That's what 
Peter's saying here, but he's saying you can only have that hope according to the amount of knowledge you have. And not head knowledge, it's heart knowledge. Head knowledge puffs up, but heart knowledge will drive you to be better, to love people more, to give more, to be self-sacrificing. But notice how this comes, verse 3. As his divine power, this is not dependent on me, it's dependent on God's power. As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I just want to scream that at people that tell me they don't believe in the prosperity gospel. Now, believe me, I don't agree with everything that I've heard preached that says they're the people that say they're the, you know, preaching the prosperity gospel. That you just give and God's just going to shower a hundredfold return on everything you give. doesn't work that way. But God does want you to prosper. He wants you to prosper and be in health. If you remember, 3 John, I desire above all that you prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. That's the knowledge of God. We can do that. We can believe for that. We can have the hope for that because He has already given us through His divine power everything. That's what all things means. Everything that pertains to life and godliness Notice again, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. We have that hope by, because His divine power gives us insight into His will for us. And then verse 4, He says, By which has been given us exceedingly great, not just great, but exceedingly great, and precious promises. I love that, that little Greek word there for precious. It, it, it's, it's, it's something that's precious and you know it's precious because you've seen the price tag. You know, you can go, I, I love it. People talk about how valuable diamonds are. You realize va- diamonds are a dime a dozen? If it wasn't for, and I forget the company now, that has a monopoly on the diamond trade in the world, you could buy diamonds for nothing. They're dirt cheap. We have an abundance of diamonds. It's only that there is one worldwide legal monopoly, and it's the diamond trade. And they purposely keep the, the number of diamonds on the market scarce to keep the price up. If they didn't have a worldwide monopoly, you could buy diamonds for almost nothing. But you know why diamonds are precious? Because you go look at the price tag. You're going to give up a lot to buy that diamond. Even though they're common. If they truly, if, if you could just go get diamonds and sell them, anybody could sell them anywhere, then diamonds would be cheap as, as in every other gemstone. In fact, cheaper than most. Because they're not as rare as most. But because they limit the supply, they have become precious. Because the, and we know they're precious because they have a price tag. This exceedingly precious promise is precious because I know the price tag. The price tag is the blood of Jesus. The price tag is the God of the universe deciding, I'm going to come and I'm going to submit myself to live in a human body for all eternity. Now, if that, that concept, how can God live in a human body? How can an unlimited God limit himself to be inside a human? And then not only do that, but come and live a perfect life and die a horrible death. 
And yet that's exactly what Jesus did. And all of the promises are backed up because of that life, because of that blood. That's why those promises are precious. But notice the last part of that verse. That through these, these what? These precious promises. That through these promises, you, me, I can be a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Peter is saying right here, these, th- this, this hope that Jesus has given us, because he came, he lived and he died, he resurrected. Because of that, he's promised us that we can be partakers of his nature and through that nature, we can escape the corruption. That word there, corruption, literally means the process of dying. It's talking about, and I mentioned it earlier, when you die, your spirit and your soul go to be with the Lord. Or they go to hell, one way or the other. If you're born again, you're going to be with Jesus. But your body's going in the ground. Now, in today's world, we will spend a fortune to make you look like you're alive, and put chemicals in your body so your body will never rot. And even with that, your body is eventually going to rot. But if you just left it to nature, you put a body in a grave, two years come back, you can dig that grave up, there's nothing there. It's all gone. Even the bones will dissolve. We go back to the earth. That's the word there for corruption. It means a body that's rotting and going back to earth. We can partake of the divine nature, the nature of God, and escape the dying process that's in this world. That Greek word there, world, is cosmos, which means the world system, the system that Satan imposed when Adam and Eve fell. It's not talking about the planet Earth. It's talking about this corrupt system that sin brought in. We can escape all of that and be partakers of God's nature but only through those promises and only if we know those promises. So he says, I want you to partake to escape. That's the whole point of that verse. I want you to partake of me so you can escape this nasty, dying, horrible world that we live in. Well, how do we do that? Psalm 103.20 Bless the Lord, you His angels, who excel in strength, who do His word, heeding the voice of His word. This is telling us, this is talking about angelic creatures. And you have to be careful, both in, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, when, it, when the, the word angelos, or the word angels, I forget the, the Hebrew word for angels, when it's translated, it literally means messenger. And sometimes it's talking about a heavenly being, sometimes it's talking about a human being that just has a message from God. Remember, we talked several weeks ago about um, uh, out of um, Corinthians chapter 14 about um, um, tongues and interpretation versus prophecy. And prophecy, there's only one reason to prophesy. And I'll be honest with you, we need to get past this idea because the, the, the the American charismatic world thinks that prophecy is something that happens when you come to church. Prophecy happens out in the world. Almost exclusively it should happen in the world. I'm not saying that we should never have prophecy in a church, in a church service. It's appropriate. But you ought to be prophesying every day. Because what you're doing is you're you're speaking uh, exhortation and comfort 
to men. And that word for exhortation right there is, is, means you pull alongside to, to encourage someone. It's the Greek word parakleos, which is when Jesus said, I'm going to send another comforter, I'm going to send another helper to help you. He said to paraclete, and he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. We take on that role of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying here. Bless the Lord, you His angels who excel in strength, who do His word, heeding the voice of His word. When we be, take on that role, or not the role, but we take on the, um, the function of the Holy Spirit and become the Holy Spirit's voice, because the Holy Spirit is a spirit, He cannot physically talk. Now I realize He's God, He can do anything. But in His sovereignty, He has said, I'm not speaking, I'm using you to speak. And when we speak what He speaks, that's exactly what Jesus did. He said, I only do what I see my Father do. I only say what I hear my Father say. That hearing and seeing was the role of the Holy Spirit in His life. And He was the voice of the Father because the Holy Spirit told Him, you say this. He wasn't saying anything Jesus said in His natural life. He did not say as the second person of the Godhead. He said it as a man anointed by God to speak what the Holy Spirit spoke. That's our job. And when we do that, the angelic creatures stand up and say, okay, let's go do that. That was God speaking through him. Let's go do that. that but if you don't know the promise, you can't speak the promise, and you can't get the results of the promise because you have no hope. Without knowledge, you don't have hope to pin your, to your knowledge. And then, um, again, in the New Testament, Hebrews 1.14, Speaking of angels, angelic creatures, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Angels, angelic creatures, are here to, to, um, hint or, or to heed to our words when we speak God's word. They don't listen to you. It's not like you can command the angels to go to Dairy Queen and get you a blizzard and bring it back to your house. But when you speak God's word, they come to attention and they start saying, all right, we've got God. We have God's word saying this. How do you do this process? This, we said <clears throat> the Hebrew word for hope was tikva, means to bind. How do we do that, this process? Jesus introduced it in John chapter 16. He said, however, he, however, when He, the Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit, has come. And it's not that the Holy Spirit wasn't in the earth already. It means the Holy Spirit is coming in a new dispensation, the church age. The Holy Spirit's always here. There's nowhere in, in the universe, there's nowhere in, in, even in God's realm where, where God doesn't exist. It says, you go to hell, you'll find God there. You go to heaven, you'll find God there. How can that be? How can God be present in hell? Because God's present everywhere. He has a, 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 a physical presence where he is, he is occupying every space there is. But He only manifests Himself in certain places. That's what we're after. He, Jesus said here, remember, the second person of the Godhead was here, physically in a body. But He said, I have to go away so that the Holy Spirit can come and manifest Himself. The church age is the age of the Spirit. You know, technically, we say, when people get born again, you need to invite Jesus into your heart. 
Technically, that's wrong. Jesus is not in the earth. We're inviting the Holy Spirit to come and occupy ourselves. Now, I realize, and I just preached it, we have the Spirit of Christ on the inside of us, okay? I'm, I'm preaching, I'm coming up the mountain from a different side, all right? But this is the age where the Holy Spirit is manifesting Himself because Jesus said, When the Spirit of truth has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. The same way Jesus didn't speak on His authority, only spoke what He saw or heard the Father say, the Holy Spirit only speaks what He hears Jesus say. Because right now, the Father has submitted Himself to Jesus. Jesus is running the, the universe, not the Father. That bends my brain too. But it says, He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will tell you things to come. King James says, I will show you things to come. American Standard Version says, He will declare things to come. The Amplified Bible says, He will disclose to you. Philip says, He will inform you. When I read that, what I, what I envisioned forever was me going to a theater, and I sit down, and there's the screen, and God starts showing me things. I see a picture. I see a motion picture. I see a movie. And God's saying, this is what's going to happen to you. This is the vision that you have for your life. You know, that's totally wrong. And it didn't dawn on me until this week when I went and studied this passage out. The, the word there that's translated, he will tell you things, or he will show you things, it's the, the Greek word, and I'm going to horribly mangle the pronunciation is, it's an angelo. It's a compound of two Greek words. Anna, which means to go into the midst of something, and the Greek word angelos, where we get angels. But it's not talking about the heavenly beings. It's talking about us as messengers of God, us as the body of Christ standing in the place of Christ, having the Holy Spirit speak to us, and we hear Him say something, and we speak it. He's saying, I will show you things to come when you get in the midst of the messengers. And the messengers is us. It's the church. Universal, but the church, wherever you are, occupying space. It's 1 Corinthians 12, 22. Now, this will make more sense to you. If you keep in mind, God has sent us out and to be in the midst of the messengers so He can show us what we need to do. Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, talking about the body of Christ, the church. He said, but now there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. As a member of the body of Christ, forget being a pastor, forget being a preacher, forget being an apostle, a, a, a prophet, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter the anointing. As a member of the body of Christ, I cannot look at another Christian and say, I don't need you. And yet, what do we do? Ah, oh, those Baptists, they're just all dried up. Those Pentecostals, they're just crazy. They're crazy Maddox's. And then you got the Calvinists, especially the hyper-Calvinists. They're just, you know, they've, they've just gone off to the extreme. We don't want to fellowship with them. We don't. I was in a church. I was associate pastor in a church one time, and I left. 
I ran like my hair was on fire, and I had hair back then. We had an elder that came to the pastor and said, there are things going on I just can't agree with anymore, so I'm going to have to separate and go find a different church. Should have given him the right hand of fellowship and said, bless you, brother, I hope you find a place where you fit in and go. Instead, pastor got up in the pulpit, said, don't associate with them. Our youth leader had been friends from childhood with that couple. And the pastor said, if you, if you fellowship with them at all, you will be fired the day you do it. He said, they're off, they're, they're, they're anathema to me. And, I'm, and I, it, I made the decision right then. I'm not going to just, you know, I didn't quit that day. But within a few months, I was gone. Because you cannot say, I have no need of you. We have to have. We only get the revelation that God wants to give to us when we make ourselves part of a body. We, the, being part of the body is, is, is essential. God guides. We hear. We speak. He shows us things when we are in functioning as part of the body. I'm going to go to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. But I want to, I want to just give you a, a, a little, I don't know, not a theology lesson. But there are actually three letters to the Corinthian church. We have two of them. The third one's lost to history. The first letter, Paul sent to the church at Corinth and he corrected them. And they didn't listen. And he sent a, a second letter. It's called the severe letter. and it's, There are no copies of it. But you hear him reference it in 2 Corinthians. That's how we know it existed. And he mourned that he sent that letter. Because I think in, in at least reading between the lines of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, you see that, that Paul's thinking, wow, I think I overdid it. <laughs> I spanked him a little too hard. And he wrote 2 Corinthians partly, well, he did it partly um, uh, because they, he got a response. But, but notice, let's start in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 7. He says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's what he was saying in the severe letter. He said it in 1 Corinthians, but he said it even stronger in the severe letter. You have got to end this. And it was particularly about one individual who was living with his stepmother as husband and wife. He, he went into his father's home, seduced his stepmother, and they moved out and he, they got married and he's, he's have committing adultery with his stepmom. And Paul said, if you can't correct him, man, you just, you, you're too far gone. And he got rough. But he said, the whole poor... Uh, point of all this is is you need to it's through the precious promises that you can cleanse yourself verse 2 he says open your hearts to us we have wronged no one we have corrupted no one we have cheated no one i do not say this to condemn for i have said before that you're in our hearts to die together and to live together. Paul's saying, look i corrected you i corrected you hard but we're in this together if you die i die if you live, I live. 
When we cut off other people from the body of Christ, we're going to quit hearing from the Holy Spirit, and if they go down, we go down. They only live because we live, and we can only live because they live. Verse 4, he says, Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. Again, this is that same word, paraclesis, that described the Holy Spirit and describes what prophecy does. It exhorts us and comforts us. I'm filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. This is the Apostle Paul. I'm getting beat up on the outside and inside. I'm just full of fear. Boy, if that doesn't give you hope that, that, that you can make it. If Paul felt fear, I don't feel so guilty for feeling fear. If he's having troubles and conflicts, that means I'm going to have troubles and conflicts. Verse 6, Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. I'm not going to read the rest of it, but Titus came with a message from the church at Corinth and said, Hey, your, your, your letter was really rough. You chewed us out pretty hard. But we made some corrections and things are better now. And Titus took that message to Paul, and Paul said, man, that comforted me. I, 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 didn't, I really didn't want to hurt you that way, but I had to. Because if you go down, I go down. You're part of me. I can't exist without you because you're part of God and I'm part of God. I can't just let my foot rot off. You know, when I was at, at, at Ramah, I worked at a hospital, and a big part of the floor the 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 uh, patients that we had were, were uh, kidney patients. And most all of them were there because they had diabetes. And so the, it was the diabetes that they, wouldn't, they didn't control it. They just ate whatever they want, and it killed their kidneys. About half of them were blind. And some of them, this is, this is graveyard humor that you get in hospitals because you see tragedy every day. You have to joke about it or you go crazy. But they, we called them carvers. Everybody did. And every once in a while, the same people would come back and you'd carve a little more off of them. They'd lose their feet. They'd lose fingers. They'd lose hands. They, they, they looked like lepers. You just, they'd come in and you'd cut a little more off because gangrene would set in because diabetes kills your blood vessels. And, and that's, what, that's what Paul's saying. We can't, we can't discard. I can't say I have no need of you because if I cut you off, you will lose your supply of the Spirit and you'll start to die. Gangrene will start in. And it'll start poisoning the body of Christ. We, we cannot be separate. I don't care what your label is. I don't care if you're Baptist or Methodist or Catholic. If you call on the name of Jesus, you're my brother, my sister. And we need one another. And we have to reach out for one another. Much less if we're all part of the same local church. Well, yeah, but you know, that person, they just they, they made me mad. Well, wah, wah. come on down front. We'll stick a bottle in your mouth and bottle feed you for a while. You know, I love, I, I, I love little babies. I really think that, you know, if I ever retire, my, my occupation, I want to go to, like, be a permanent employee of a NICU or a, a, a nursery at a hospital where you can just hold babies and rock them. I could do that all day. My only problem is I'd probably fall asleep and drop them. But 
there's just something about holding a baby and bottle feeding that baby. I mean, if, it does, if that doesn't comfort you, you have no soul. That's just a wonderful place to be. And I, don't, don't get me wrong, I love my son. I would give my life for my son. Well, my son's 40, 41 years old. If he comes home and crawls up in my lap and expects his wife to hand me a bottle and I'm supposed to stick a bottle in his mouth and feed him, my first thought is, is he, had, is he brain damaged? Has something happened to him? Because he's 41. He needs to get out and do, do some of his own stuff. We need to get past. That's a sign of infancy when, when you're mad at people and you're, you're offended at people. Everybody has offenses. If you don't get an offense, if people don't offend you, you're not alive. But we need to get over it. So what somebody offends you? Who cares? Get over it. Jesus died for them the same way he died for you. And if he died for me, how much more, or just as much he died for them, I, we're, we're one. Now, let me finish this up real, real quick. John 14, we saw John 16 uh, a minute ago, but in John 14, 16, Jesus was, was declaring what was coming. He said, I'll pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. That, that word uh, another is the Greek word allos, which means another, but it's of the same kind. And in my science classes, we always dealt with, we had dealt with a lot of vocabulary. But one of the, two of the words we always dealt with was hetero and homo. It's where we get, you know, when people in today's age, they're going to classify themselves by their sexual orientation. If you're a heterosexual, you're attracted to the opposite sex. If you're a homosexual, you're attracted sexually to the same sex. In our modern parlance, hetero is the same of a different kind. We're both humans, but we're different kinds of humans. I like girls. Don't like boys. I mean, I like guys, but not in the same way I like girls. When I was dating, I didn't dream of the guy next door. I dreamed of the girl next door. But if I was homo, that means it's, it's a different person, but they're the same kind of person. Jesus, when he said, I'm going to send you another comforter, he's saying, it's another but it's the same kind as me. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. Paul used a, a, a different word. He used actually hetero. In, in biblical Greek, they use uh, allos instead of homo to mean the same. But in Romans 7.23, Paul's talking about the law that he sees working in his members, the law that makes him do things that he doesn't want to do. He said, I see another law. That's hetero. There's a law of God that's telling me this is how I ought to live, but I got another law that lives in my flesh, and it's telling me to do different things. When he says that, that it's, a, it's a, a different comforter, but the same kind of comforter as me, there again, that's the Greek word uh, paraclete. One called alongside to help us. When you, the old um, um, poem, and it's kind of a cliche, footsteps. You know, you're walking in the sand, there's two sets of footsteps, and suddenly there's only one set of footsteps, and you start complaining, God, see, I'm all alone here. And God looks back at you and says, no, that's when I was carrying you. That's the function of a paraclete. When you can't walk, he'll carry you. 
He'll come alongside him, but mostly what he's going to do is he's coming alongside and he's putting you in remembrance of what his promises were and saying you need to get some more hope and you need to start declaring your faith. You need to speak the same thing that I'm saying. I said you're strong. You're saying you're weak. Well, let the weak say they're strong. Well, that makes no sense. I'm weak. Who cares? Say you're strong. And what you will find out is when you start declaring I'm strong, you get strength. Why? Because you're partaking of the divine nature and the divine nature will strengthen you. If you don't have the hope that centers in on that promise, then it doesn't work. Now, why are we supposed to be so close to one another? Why is the Holy Spirit's role to show you things, to put you in the midst of other messengers? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. I've known a lot of people over a long period of time that love to stir things up. I've met very few that want to stir up love and good works. But that's what we're called to do. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. The closer we get to the return of Jesus, the more we need to be coming together and exhorting one another. That, again, that's parakletos, exhorting, taking on the role of the Holy Spirit. Jerry, you can make it because God says you're strong. You feel weak, but you're not weak. God's filling you with His divine nature and giving you strength. We need to pull alongside one another and, and, and share promises that the Word gives us and encourage one another and build one another up. Proverbs 3 says it this way, there's an inward and an outer work to do. I've got my flesh, that's the outward man, and I've got my inward man, my spirit and my soul. Proverbs 3, starting verse 1, My son, don't forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. That's the inward man. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. I like verse 2. Length of days, long life, and peace. You know, you can live a long bad life the same way you can live a long good life. Well, if I had a choice, you know, Gina and I made the decision years and years ago because we are very different people. Those that came to the fellowship Friday night saw a side of us you don't normally see because we are both pretty competitive. Well, she's competitive. I'm just sweet. But my nose, did you, I, I felt my nose grow on that one. Anyway, when we first got married, there was a lot of conflict because we, we had different opinions on everything. And we came to a decision. Divorce is never going to be an option for us. Murder, maybe, but not divorce. So when it comes down to it, we have one of two choices. We can live in conflict or we can live in peace. I've been in conflict. I've been in peace. Peace is better. As I said earlier, it's not rocket science. He wants to give us how do we live long have long life and have peace through keep my, or his commands, his law in my heart. Notice what he says in verse 3. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. I love the fact that he puts mercy before truth. I can know the truth. It's what I said several weeks ago. God commands husbands to, to love their wives as Christ loved the church, washing them with the water of the word. You can scrub somebody with a soft cloth or a bristle brush. They're both getting washed. One's not pleasant and one is. Mercy always has to inform truth. 
Don't let them forsake you. Bind them around your neck. That's the outward man. Write them on the tablet of your heart. That's the inward man. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Proverbs 7, verse 1. My son, keep my words, treasure my commandments within you, the inward man. Keep my commandments and live. And my law is the apple of your eye. That's your pupil of your eye. Your, your eyes should be focused on his law 24 hours a day. Bind them on your figure, on your fingers, that's your outward man. Write them on the tablet of your heart, that's the inward man. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin. I've got to make, have a familial relationship. The same way I count my, you know, blood is thicker than water. I can, I'll, I, when we were young, my two brothers and I, we would fight, and I mean blood, blood would flow, lips would be fat when we were done. But you let anybody come after either one of my brothers, and buddy, you're going to have a tiger to deal with. Now, the biggest surprise I ever had as a teenager when my brother came home from the military and found out I had been beaten pretty severely, I mean, dislocated my jaw, um, by a guy from another town. And my, my brother went and looked him up. And I looked at my brother and I said, you've hit me harder than he hit me. He said, yeah, but I'm your brother. I can hit you. He can't. And he meant it. And I was really, to be honest with you, I was worried he was going to go to jail because he... He put a whooping on this kid. Why? Because I'm family. We need to look at wisdom and say, you're family. I want you to be part of my life. And then let me finish up with this. Um, Hebrews 8.10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. He's quoting Jeremiah 31. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they will be my people. God will, be, will put us into His tribe, and He'll put His laws in our minds and in our hearts. Because He wants us to be part of Him. He says the same thing again in Hebrews 10. Verse 16, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. There's a, a, a song or a psalm, Psalm 45, 1. It says, my heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the King, Jesus. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. The tongue, my tongue is the, the, the pen of a skilled writer. What I speak about my relationship to Jesus is what I'm going to have manifest in my life. What I speak about your relationship with Jesus is what I will help you have in your life. That's why we read it. He calls us in Hebrews 10, come together, stir one another up for, for love and good works. I had people even recently tell me, you know, they've, they've left the church. They've got offended at somebody and they're gone. And I'm not criticizing people. Sometimes God calls you to leave a church and go somewhere else. Just make sure God's calling you. But you're just not leaving because you're offended. But I had a per individual tell me, don't worry about me. My wife and I watch six to ten hours of, of religious broadcasting every week. We're getting more word now than we ever got when we were there. And it's like, you may be hearing more sermons, but without fellowship in a local church and being around Christians, you're not going to get the revelation God wants you to. Now, that doesn't mean... We don't need to listen to things. I've said it. I'm on YouTube. I probably listen 12, 15, 20 hours of sermons a week. 
If I'm, if I'm doing anything where I don't have to think about it, if I'm just doing a chore, I'm listening to somebody preach to me. I got it on my, I've got probably 600 hours of good sermons on my phone. And I put my earbuds in, I go to mow grass, I put my earbuds in, I put a sermon in. Because I don't have to think about mowing grass, you just got to look at the line, make sure you overlap a little bit. doesn't take a lot of thought to do that. So I'm feeding my spirit while I'm mowing the grass. If I'm washing dishes, I'm listening to somebody preach at me. I, I'm constantly feeding, but that is not a substitute for fellowship with human beings. And let me give you, I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this illustration. Because this is one that's graphic, but everybody knows it's true. One of the huge problems that we have in our society is internet pornography. Why is it a problem? Because it wants to, to substitute the image of a sexual relationship with, between a man and a woman with a real relationship between a real man and a real woman. Why is it so tempting? It's tempting because all of the guys look good, all of the women look good, and they never say no. You want to have a relationship with a real human being? Unless you're 16, 17 and really work out hard, you don't look that great. That's why God said wear clothes. You look better clothed than you do unclothed. And the older you get, the more true that is. But the other thing is you cannot have a relationship with a real human being without conflict. It does not exist. No. I'll give you the best example. You can't have a relationship with Jesus without conflict. Because when you violate what He says to do, there's going to be conflict between Him and you. I will give you a hint, because this one's not hard either. You're always wrong, and He's always right. So when you realize it, run to 1 John, get it right, surrender, get back in line, renew the relationship. We have to have relationships with, with each other if we want to keep hope alive and if we want to have a revelation of what Jesus is doing in our lives. Amen? It's essential. It's not an option because it's the way He designed it. He's saying if, 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 you, if your mouth is parched, there's only one way to unparch it. Take a drink. If you're parched in your soul, you need each other to help refresh you. Titus refreshed Paul when he brought him news of the Corinthians and what his letter did. It brought them to repentance. We have to have each other. If you die, I die. If you live, I live. It's that real. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.